0: Hello, everybody. I'm Chip Hall. I'm a managing director at Google. uh, And I look after a couple different businesses, but I think most interesting for this audience is uh, for the Americas. So for uh, North and um, Central and South America, I look after our ad exchange business. So we work with um, millions of publishers, both small and large, and really all the buyers in the world um, who are coming together to create a marketplace for programmatic media. And uh, as you're going to learn here today, Pete and I have been doing this stuff for a while. Um, We've got a lot of experience. I've actually got about 24 years in the internet and media and technology space, which is why I've earned my gray hairs the hard way. My wife likes to tell me that I'm getting much more experienced, which I appreciate. Um, But we've also seen a lot of different trends. And as we are going to talk about today, um, we've got some new trends going on in TV. The good news, as we're going to find out here, is that we get to learn from some experience. And we're pretty excited to uh, be here today and share some of that experience with you so
1: a little bit about Mighty Hive. Um, We are a company that's, uh, well, international now. We've got offices in San Francisco, New York, Sydney, Australia opening in Singapore and London later this year. And uh, basically we help companies make the programmatic transformation. Whether that be, whether you're an agency or an advertiser or a publisher, we can help you kind of figure out what all this stuff means and how to actually move forward into a programmatic future. Chip and I actually met uh, 10 years ago when we were both working at uh, uh, Yahoo, now called Oath, and so...
0: We were there during the uh, the good days. Just want to make that very well
1: known. <laughs> and so one of the things that we worked on together, um, you know, we've worked e- with each other a lot. Um, if, if you guys have ever, like, been online and went to a store and looked at the red shoes and then had them follow you around because you didn't buy them, that was one of uh, Chip and my uh, first collaborations with each other. It's called Dynamic Retargeting, and we did the, uh, together, we did the first case study in the
0: United States around that. Yeah, we actually came back to uh, the Yahoo leadership at the time and said, hey, there's this huge business call Retargeting. It could be a billion-dollar business, and they laughed us out of the room. And yet another reason why Yahoo is now part of AOL, and it's called Oath. So,
1: <laughs> And then soon afterwards, both Chip and I moved over to Google. So, you know, all right. Anyway, so today, uh, we're going to be talking with you about—the uh, uh, presentation is called From the Front Lines, Seven Habits of Highly Effective Programmatic Content Owners. And it's really just sort of, you know, two people who have been there and done that in the world of programmatic advertising in the digital, in the digital sense— uh, coming out and saying, "Hey, listen! Here's what we see happening in the world, and you know, maybe just a couple of tips as to how these things might be even better." <laughs> Closer. Okay. Got it. <laughs> so go ahead. Um, why don't, you, why don't we start talking about you know what, what is exactly programmatic? Chip, why don't you start
0: there? Yeah, so this is important. Um, we live, we're, we're really in um, a technology space. So I'm the tech guy, he's the ads guy. Um, and within technology, there's just a tremendous amount of acronyms. Um, you've heard about programmatic mostly with, with what's going on within display. And in the world of display and digital media, programmatic is going to mean uh, really the right ad uh, to the right person at the right time. And you get very specific with the creative to the, um, to the person. In TV, we're being a little bit more fuzzy. And we really talk about the use of data and the use of better automation to go after specific audiences. So it's a little bit broader as a definition. I think that what's important here is that um, this only really works if you use data wisely. We're going to talk a lot about this today. But uh, whenever you use the word programmatic, you're really using the word to mean what it's meant to mean, which is you can program your advertising. Well, how do you program your advertising? You program it like you do your programming as a content creator. You program to the audience. Right? And you need to have insights and data on those audiences to do that kind of programming. Um, within TV, and we're working on this and we actually have an announcement today um, with one of our Google products around how we can do better automation. Automation is getting better and better and better, but I'll be honest, on this stage, at least within TV, you know, the, the, the focus really needs to be on better use of data. Automation is going to come, um, but in terms of, at least with linear TV, we've got we've got decent automation. So, But I will say that uh, data is where you want to focus, and then um, making sure that we can continue to use technology for better automation and better automation. And uh,
1: taking a step back, and you know, it's programmatic is
0: one of those words that has been so
1: overused and has been so confusing for so many years, I always like to think about it as helping the ads get better, that's all. Right, is just to make sure that the ads are improving, are better targeted, are more um, personalized for the people, so that the folks that are seeing these ads actually think they're valuable. And in a way, what programmatic is trying to do is to help the advertiser and the publishers and the content owners keep up with the expectations that people have when they're engaging with their screens. For the first time in history, people now can consumers can watch whatever they want, read whatever they want, listen to what whatever they wanted, any moment in time. And that can't help but bleed over into the expectations of the ads too. Right? If you show somebody some bad advertisements, then they're going to be kind of upset that you took them away from the exact thing that they wanted to see. So programmatic helps you close that gap so that the advertiser right, isn't disturbing, but instead is you know telling a story that might be worth telling.
0: Yeah, but not everybody thinks it's so great, do they? <laughs> Not at all. I mean, it's it's funny. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, so the um, you know there, there's a lot of there's a lot of good in what we're going to talk about today, um, but there's also some fear, some uncertainty, some doubt. You know, we call that FUD. And part of the FUD factor within programmatic as it relates to TV is people have worried about things. You know, they've seen what's happened within display. The early days of display, where especially people would concentrate on just uh, getting to the lower price. And in the world of acronym soup, there's something called RTB in the world of digital, which um, uh, Uh, has come to be known as race to the bottom. And so people within linear TV seem to worry about that. um, As well, they should, right? We need to focus on quality. We need to focus on making sure that we get to uh, the the highest price point that we we possibly can. So this notion of commoditization has become an issue and and a fear. I will say this, though. You have the ability, and I'm speaking now to to people in the audience. that are content creators, people that are publishers. You have the ability to control all of this. You control your data. You control your technology. Right. You have the ability to control also your pricing, right, and where quality lives. So even though disintermediation, uh, excuse me, um, commoditization is something that I think a lot of people worry about. It really is, with when it's really a worry of people that don't quite understand the power they have to control the medium itself and to control the new marketplaces. The other thing that's gotten I think a bad rap within TV is people are worried about disintermediation that they can somehow get somebody between their relationships. The technology can somehow come between you and the people um, that you're working with on the advertising side. And again, I can assure you guys that that does not need to happen. Technology's not taking over the world. And it's coming from a Google guy. right? so I'm saying it's not taking over the world. Relationships matter deeply, right? And in fact, what's great about it is you have the ability to collaborate between the advertiser and the publisher, the content creator, to create whole new kinds of personalized marketplaces. So you actually, again, have the opportunity to take back control. Right, so the fear, I think, I, we understand where it comes from. We're here to tell you that actually, you are empowered to use technology, use data, to become even more powerful as a content creator. If you're on the buy side, as as a as an advertiser. Now, with advertising, Pete, you said you're the ads guy. You know, so what what gets what gets advertisers excited about this? Why do they Why do they care? They're pushing this pretty hard. I mean,
1: advertising has always been a exercise in trying to entice and um, basically attract more business. And so here is what programmatic brings. It's why advertisers have adopted this so rapidly. It's four words. Transparency, measurability, efficiency, and overall accountability. All of the, those. I'll talk about each of those things, but it, here's the bottom line. It's just a better way to do advertising. Specifically, from a transparency uh, perspective, it allows advertisers to know exactly who they're talking to. Who is this person that I'm talking to right now? What happened afterwards, right? How can I say the right things to the right people at the right time? And then understand exactly what is in the chain of events and so who's getting paid where and how do we optimize that? From a measurability standpoint, one of the things I like to say is that advertising for centuries has labored with a secret that we all operate in the land of the blind, We all know exactly how much money we spend on advertising. The accountants will tell us down to the penny what has been spent. But if you ask, how much did we make, right? there will be a problem because you'll get estimates that are 10x the actual revenue, which means that either finance lost 90% of the money or somebody didn't measure it right. And so what programmatic allows you to do is to finally actually treat this as a business process. I spent this. I made that. And then we can optimize and measure and try to improve these things. From an efficiency standpoint, you can do other things. Like, you know, one of the most famous complaints about advertising is an efficiency complaint. Half of my advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. In a programmatic environment, you know what you do? You just don't buy it. And that really, really helps. And all of this basically just leads down to an accountability standpoint. Programmatic absolutely started as a way to buy remnant inventory, but has graduated to just be a completely new and better way of buying. And that's where the customers are. And frankly, it's where the consumers are too because it also
0: helps you to personalize. So you're saying Mr. Wanamaker would be happy about this?
1: Mr. Wanamaker would be over the
0: moon about this. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it seems like too that, you know, we're at a place where there really is no going back, right? The genie is out of the bottle. And the reason the genie is out of the bottle is because, as Pete was saying, um, this is frankly just a better way to do advertising, a better way to create new marketplaces. Um, It really is a bit of a revolution. Uh, we have both been in the industry for a long time, you know, we've been at uh, <laughs> in sort of seminal parts of, 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 the, of the ecosystem and the evolution.
1: And I'm going to brag a little bit here about Chip. So uh, Chip, in his typically modest way, really kind of glossed over um, what his role is. Chip is the head of the largest uh, programmatic marketplace in the world, and maybe we can just take a couple minutes. Can you tell the folks about that? And um, you know.
0: Yeah, so I, I I joke that I've uh, I've been you know been around the industry long enough. I've got a little bit of the Forrest Gump in me. Been sort of at the right place at the right time, not you know sometimes by accident. I was lucky though that I got. I was part of an acquisition at Google um, and was part of the creation of Google's um, ad exchange from some double click technology. We put it on the Google stack. Uh, it was a, a business. You know we, we don't we don't we don't disclose sort of down to the minutia. But back in 2010, i beginning of 2010. It was a um, you know less than 100 million dollar business, just one country, the U.S. So here we are, now, about six seven years later. Um, it is a global business, many billions of dollars, um, and frankly, it has been revolutionizing the you know the, the way that people buy and sell media. Uh, and again, it's 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 been so successful because marketers want, as you said, more transparency, more accountability. They want better performance. Publishers, content creators, they want to be able to better utilize their own data. They want to be able to, frankly, just make more money, right?
1: And so, can you put that growth into context, not just in terms of how fast programmatic has grown, but how about from the context of how fast, you know, programmatic has grown from the lens of all of advertising?
0: So, if we've got about, you know, all media is about um, 200 billion, I think in the 180s, um, and about 40% of that is digital right within that 40% that is digital we see today you know in the neighborhood of about 80% of it is programmatic right and this is in 2017 it was in the mid teens you know 3 4 years ago We've seen you know doubling and tripling of, of growth, you know primarily because again you know we, we put up here the uh, the surfer guy because I think we didn't want to put up a tsunami. That was you can go back was not we, we didn't want to put up the uh, the the tsunami because I think it might have scared people off. But the fact is this is a wave that we are not pushing back off the beach. You know it is really here to stay. You know and we're finding that um, you know that it's just we're seeing great growth rates. Um, But we're also finding the biggest big advertisers. Amex is another good example here where someone like Amex has said, listen, I'm going to make, you know, 100 percent of my marketing is going to go programmatic, not just digital, but also programmatic. So this is really a revolution that uh, that is here to stay.
1: What I like to say is it is the fastest growing
0: part of the fastest growing part. And there is absolutely no end in sight. Yeah, and I think within, too, within within TV, um, and there's different uh, surveys that are out there, different reports. Uh, today, Magnus says that fully, um, you know, 17%, uh, give or take, is, uh, of, of all TV advertising, is actually um, programmatic TV. And again, I, I liken this to sort of the early days of on the display side. We're in the single digits, but this is going to become, you know, double and triple digits. I saw another survey where uh, agencies said that, specifically agencies, said that that almost 40% of their buying was was programmatic TV.
1: So one of the things that we hear a lot when we're talking to folks in the television industry and content owners generally as they are thinking or contemplating a move into programmatic is, if we build it, will they come? I spend every single day purchasing advertising on a programmatic basis for some of the largest advertisers in the world, and the answer is absolutely yes, As a matter of fact, we can't wait for television to become programmatic. In our opinion, in my personal opinion, television is going to be the linchpin of programmatic. And it is, I don't think there's anybody in advertising today who would deny that television itself is the principle, the best medium to tell stories, sight, sound, motion, lean back, attention, you name it, television has it. And so we're really, really excited, not only because programmatic brings the benefits that we've already told you about, but because when television comes, we think that it will assume its rightful place as the linchpin of advertising in a programmatic world.
0: And we think that, we, that these guys can actually make more money too, right?
1: <laughs> one of the things that's great is that when you're looking at some of the early studies that are out there right now, um, one of the studies that we saw was that there's actually a net new entrance of 70% of the folks that are buying programmatic television in the UK, in a study that I looked at, were brand new to television. People that weren't buying television before and now are. That is a simple supply and demand thing, guys, right? More buyers equals higher... Uh, higher rates for the media, period.
0: So... We promised that we'd uh, we'd give you guys um, a little bit of a lesson on how to be successful in uh, in programmatic, and uh, so what are we what are we talking about today, Pete?
1: <laughs> so uh, this was all a, a wind up to you know our talk today, which is seven habits of highly effective programmatic content owners. This is just plain English. We're trying to help people figure out like if they're gonna make a move like this, what are some of the tips and what are some of the things that we've learned through in my case ten years and in Chip's case twenty four years on the. Free- Front lines are programmatic.
0: Yeah. All right, so let's kind of dive right in. And and the beauty of of being around so long is we do get the chance to be prescriptive. Um, We also, you all, who are in the the TV industry, have the ability to kind of learn from what's happened over the past seven or so years within the kind of the pure display space. So these are some lessons. Please take them to heart. They're, They're relevant, they're meaningful. So the first things first, you know, we live in a world of content. You have to understand, we all have to understand, that your ad, right? The ad is where your advertising strategy lives, okay? And so you have to treat it with the highest regard, just like you treat a script, just like you block out a scene, right? You have to take that same care with the advertising itself, right? And if you do it in a, in a very wise way, you'll realize that great advertising is like a gift, right? It can actually be a utility. So the reason I'm in this industry, you know, this, this industry and I've stuck around so long is I've got this very geeky notion that I can actually, as a consumer, I can actually get exactly the the marketing message that I want for me at the right time. So that's the promise. And when it happens, it's literally a gift, right? Can we do that at scale now? And can we do that through every medium possible? The answer is yes, right? But in order to make good on that promise, to the consumer, to the audience you care about, you have to take the greatest of care with it, right? So if you think about how some of this new curation is happening, you guys have probably seen this. A great example very recently is what uh, Empire did with Pepsi. Right, actually weaving in um, Pepsi as a product into the storyline itself. A great example of art imitating life, where life was imitating art. Where the main character was put into an assignment to create, essentially compete for a, um, a Pepsi endorsement, which they, they won through a song, which they then played in an award show, which they then um, showed in the, in the Empire um, show as being filmed for a commercial, which then they played the commercial. So the entire media and content and commercial was happening seamlessly. Right, that's a great example of really a native uh, treatment, which is not new. Right, In the early days of radio, they did this to great effect, so this is not new. The question is, how well do you do it? Right? And it really starts with that mindset. Do you actually respect your ads? Do you treat it as the art form in which it should be, and do you treat it in a way that's going to be really meaningful for your customers?
1: Lesson two, personalize everything. I don't know if I can emphasize this enough, but what we have said and what we have seen for the last decade, the last two decades, and certainly for the decades to come, is that consumers expect personalization. 20 years ago, it was fine. You could say the same thing to everybody, right? One message broadcast to the entire world. That's no longer good enough. Today, the ads have to be, you know what? You're gonna take me away from my personally curated things. Say something to me that matters. Say something to me that actually shows that you've been paying attention. And tomorrow, that expectation is only going to grow. That is what we have to do, not only in order to sort of stay relevant, but to keep up with the audience and to keep up with the consumer as they sort of continue to just optimize their days. But for TV, it's gonna be so exciting. Even today, when I talk to a digital audience, not a television audience, but to a digital audience, I run an experiment and I say, hey listen, everybody, quickly, think of your favorite advertisement ever. Invariably, it is a television advertisement. It's not a banner and it's not something else. And so once we can have, take the power of television and then use the personalization to tell stories that really matter, can you imagine what the potential is? Personalize everything.
0: And while you're doing that personal, while you're doing that personalization, successful habit number three, it has to be mobile first, right? As I look out the audience, what's the one constant I see? People on their phones. Yeah, I see you. I see you on your phone right there. Um, Everybody's on their phone, right? Some people are ignoring what we're saying here and doing work. Some people are taking pictures. Some people are taking notes. Everybody's on their phone, right? That is the new consumer behavior. It's just the way it is. Right? We used to make jokes, and those have been around long enough, you know, heard the joke, when's the year of mobile? Well, it was probably two or three years ago, and we, we went by it so fast we didn't even notice, right? So people that visit a YouTube at home, 92% of the time they're doing so on some kind of mobile device. I oversee the Ad Exchange, and Pete's right. It's, it's one of the world's largest, I'll let him say it's the largest. He can say that, I can't say that. Um, world's you largest. Can, you, can, you can trust him. Um, Ad Exchange, and about two years ago, We went from um, 40% mobile to now we're about three quarters of all of our traffic is mobile, right? And that happened in the blink of an eye. Everything is mobile first. We're trying very hard at Google to make it easier for you as content creators to make sure that the content and the ads show up very seamlessly. Something called, we're working on something called Accelerated Mobile Pages or AMP. If you don't know about it, please get to know it. Because as you're developing, your platforms as you're developing for the right curation of your content and your advertising, it needs to be mobile first. And AMP is a great way to do it. Another thing that I find amazing is we talk about personalization of creative. We talk about really being smart about talking to the right audience with the right creative. One thing we've also started to do, we've led the way, and Google's led the way, and within within YouTube, are um, six-second advertising, really short-form storytelling. So if you think about that, again, if you think about what I said in the very first habit of, of taking your ads seriously and really curating your ads, treating them like content, think about what you now have to do with that storytelling. It has to be very, very short. So be smart about that. Understand we're in an ADD world. You know, We had some people that were paying attention two minutes ago, and now they're back on email. That's just the way it happens right and that's fine right as long as you understand that and you 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 build for it so make sure that everything you do is mobile first embrace
1: video in all of its forms i get it there's a bajillion different ways that video uh, shows shows up today and by the way i'm sure that there's going to be a bajillion more that are going to be coming down but remember that to the consumer, it's all one integrated experience. Just yesterday, I started watching a show in a, on, my, on my television, then continued on my laptop, grabbed another 10 minutes on my phone, and then finished up in the hotel room. And without a single beat missed between them. It was seamless. And yeah, I get it. All those pipes are completely different and not crazy. But to the consumer, it's all the same thing. So you can't just be programmatic in one pipe and not the other, because that's missing the point. You must be programmatic across all of these things simultaneously in order to conform to the way that the consumers are looking at this stuff. And so we certainly at Mighty Hive are trying to pioneer a unified and integrated media approach And that would be very much useful if we can go ahead and buy these things from a unified platform. Now I get it. All of these formats are really, really different and that's a huge technical challenge, but I think that's a great segue to the next point, which means that in order to get past this, you have to?
0: You gotta have a a unified architecture, right? You have to take architecture really, really seriously. So if you take a look at this, um, we talked earlier that programmatic is really based on data and automation. right, what that means is that the platform is really going to deliver the success that you're looking for, right? And if I could tell you anything, um, as you think about the technology you're going to use, and there's all kinds of choices, and I come from a technology company, we'd love for you to use our technology. We've got some great technology. But regardless of what you use, have a unified technology, right? A unified foundation, right? Now why is this important? It's primarily important because if you care to actually organize your data, and what you're going to find, especially in the world of these, these first mobile devices, that you're going to have so many endpoints. You're going to have so much opportunity to collect insights on your customer that if you don't have a unified platform to do it, it's going to be near impossible to do that kind of organization. You're going to, you know, one of the, one of the you know, um, most popular things I hear in my, my day job when I talk to agencies and I talk to marketers about, about the world of programmatic, they talk about data lakes. It's right, this notion of all these like, little data lakes that are splattered all around the companies and they're trying to unify them. You can't actually unify them without a unified um, core piece of technology, without a core platform. So you have to have a unified platform. When you do that, you are able to actually unify all of your insights. If you're a content creator, you know this is your audience, right? Which is the most important thing. Who are the people that you're trying to speak to? Unify those people, right? When they're unified, you have the ability to actually then get them the right message. You can actually get them creative, as we've been talking about. That's fueled by insights. How well do you know them is going to inform the actual creative that you that you put in front of them. Then you decide, okay, well, how do I distribute it? Because now the distribution is also digital. and You've got a choice as to who your distribution partners are going to be, also the marketplaces in which you're going to do that distribution. And then after you've done that, what becomes critical is, okay, what just happened, right? This this, this notion of measurement. Right, within the architecture is critical because you have to actually figure out what just happened and what value did you just derive from the marketing you just put out there. And this is critical because what we're doing here is we're allowing you to be really smart about your customers within your architecture and then with every interaction you get a little bit, a little bit smarter. This actually becomes a learning system. You've heard about artificial intelligence, right? And that's a great buzzword and we've actually had sort of different bits of AI um, for years and years. We're becoming more tuned to it because we actually have the ability to deliver platforms like this, simple architecture illustrates, and we can actually use the data um, in really to really powerful effect. And what you can create within your, your, within your business, right? Because This is all just powering your business so you can actually make more money as a content creator, trying to better monetize the inventory that you have and the audiences that you're bringing to that content. With every interaction, every time your audience touches your content, interacts with your business, you become a little bit smarter. So this, if you do it well, if you have the right architecture, it becomes actual virtuous cycle where you can do one-to-one marketing at scale. That's that's the that's the promise of this. That's the vision of this. It doesn't actually, um, uh, it won't actually come to fruition unless you have an architecture where you actually do these five things. Right, you have the right platform, you organize your data, you fuel that, your creative with those data insights, you distribute your messages smartly, you measure in a very, very coherent and smart way, and then you allow that to then feed where you started with your data measurements, you become smarter about your people. Because the sixth lesson of this, and you've been hearing this over and over and over again, is that your audience is critical. Your audience is yours. Right? The whole foundation of anything that's programmatic is your audience. Right and they'll say that again because it's important, your audience, you have to own it. As you think about how you're gonna do programmatic, you're gonna work with a lot of different providers. You're gonna have to let other people touch your data, right? You're gonna have to share it within your, your, your systems. But be very clear as you do that, that you have to control your audience and control those insights. Right? The reason you want to do that is because as you get smarter of who your audience is, you're going, to be do, you're going to be able to do some very creative things, and you don't want anybody or any piece of technology to stand in the way of what you do with your data and how you actually create new marketplaces, you know, new ways to, to deliver media. Right? It's also important because the other part of, of, of controlling your audience is you have to be in charge of your own audience attribution, the value of that audience. One of the biggest misnomers in the technology world, and I'm a tech guy, is people say, oh, this is crazy, I'm in the world of big data, I can't control it. Well, big data just means a lot of data, which by the way is a good thing, right? And as a good thing, the challenge is, okay, well, how do you control it? How do I figure out the right way to measure, the right, right way to attribute? There are more than enough models to be used. The question, the challenge to you all is choose the model that works for your business. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. He's not going to tell you how to do it. Although he he runs a consultancy, he'll actually help you figure out a good attribution model. Um, But figure out a model that works for you, right? Because then you really truly control your data. Once you control your data, everything else that we've um, been talking about becomes available, right? And that's actually how you make the most money.
1: Number seven, invest in your talents. After running my own company for the last five years, one lesson has rung true over and over and over again. All problems are people problems. And so any type of strategy that you embark upon must, must, must think about who is going to be actually doing this. Who's going to learn, who's going to teach, who's going to execute, and how and when are you going to find those people? And so that's our message to you, which is that you must invest in your talents. And it is fine, one one model is to basically kind of create a skunkworks team to kind of list, to learn this stuff, experiment with it, and then figure out how to do it. But ultimately, the message that I'm going to give Back is that that must be integrated back into the main body, right? You don't want to create another silo around this type of stuff. Instead, have some people figure it out and then teach everybody else how to do this, right? Instead of having just like, you know, another group that does this funky stuff that nobody understands, that's not the right way to go because it'll never then be an integrated experience and it'll just leads to many more problems. Further, when you do hire those people, right? Tell them two things. Number one, Test and learn and speed. Chip and I have the you know sort of fun. We have really fun jobs because for the last you know 10 years, 24 years, whatever, we have been operating on the edge of the known universe, trying to figure out stuff that nobody knows. That means that you need to figure out, and you need to empower your teams to figure things out. Right, to have rapid experiments and to do these things fast. We have a phrase that I'm fond of inside of Mighty Hive, which is that most of our, most of advertising is lucky if they do 10 experiments a year. Folks, that's not good enough. I want 10 experiments a week, better yet, 10 experiments a day. And so that's how you actually zoom past your competitors, that's how you get ahead, and that's how you, we all find you know, this kind of programmatic future that much faster.
0: So I'm actually going to, before before wrapping up on the seven habits, I'm going to stick on this one for a little bit because Pete, Pete's right. Um, technology is great. Data is great. you know, But without people to actually turn the dials, pull the levers, write the algorithms, none of this really matters. So as you went through this and you gave a lot of good examples of things people can do, and you run a consultancy um, that actually helps companies figure out how to do this stuff, what 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 is the like the biggest hurdle you that you see? Is it is it is it inertia? Like what stops people from taking the first steps to to change how they operate to actually make the most of of data and, and having it fuel the right creative? Is there any any one thing? Or is it a small set of things? Well, things. The first one I think is just
1: something that's frankly, the fall to the programmatic powers that be. now. We've made things so complicated, right? You, you, you look at a programmatic ecosystem map and there's 3,000 companies there and you just get bewildered by what's going on. And then we've dressed it up with all of these acronyms and like, you know, TLA's and blah, blah, blah. And look, I promise you, if you peel back the onion and you just sit and listen to somebody who actually knows what they're talking about, it's not that hard. Right? And so just getting past that first notion that, you know, this is crazy complicated, it's not. It's common sense, and all you have to do is sit down and get past some of the jargon that we probably shouldn't have invented in the first place. And then after that, it's really just thinking about, you know what, let's go. Fear of failure and the fear of the unknown and all that stuff. I'm telling you right now, the people that are going to zoom ahead are the ones that just decide to do it. And it's, and we're, there's lots of help, you know? I mean, Chip and I were talking about how much fun we have with this every single day. And we like talking about this stuff. Call us, call Google, call Mighty Hive. And we will absolutely have a conversation with you trying to demystify it and put together a plan that actually makes sense for you.
0: Yeah, I want to give another example, by the way, and it's it's it, you know we live in the world of digital, and we're here to tell you that that it, that programmatic the water's warm, come on in, it's very very safe. Um, it's also somewhat inevitable. I had conversations, you know, four or five years ago with uh, with CMOS and CEOs of some of the biggest um, you know global brands in the world, and they'd say, "What is this thing? Should I be scared?" And I'd say, "No, this is great because you've never been in a better position to have global control of your customers and their insights." So it's a really powerful, great thing. One example, though, in terms of you know somewhat change management, but really. More the point about iterating and learning and taking control of your own destiny, um, comes from Kellogg's. Uh, Kellogg's is obviously CPG. They don't do direct, um, you know, direct selling. So you think, well, how are they going to succeed in, in the world of digital, especially programmatic? They don't do e-commerce, right? What Kellogg decided a few years ago is they said, you know what, there are a thousand ways we could do attribution, we're going to do it our way. right? They created their own model. In their case, it had a lot to do with the viewability of ads that people would see online. They said, well, given how people view our ads, we're going to create a scoring index. We're going to use that scoring index to figure out where our distribution um, channels, who is most effective, and then we're going to start investing in those channels against the audiences that we find you know, that we have the, gra- the greatest success. Right? Is it perfect? Probably not. Does it work for them? Absolutely. Right? They just said, we're not going to be held back by what we don't know. We're not going to be held back by trying to overthink and overanalyze what would be perfect we're actually just gonna go ahead and make this work. And they've been a fantastic innovator. In a space, by the way, that should not work as well as it does, because they don't do direct commerce. right? It's really more of a branding and awareness play. They do it incredibly well. And I would say, listen, if if a marketer and advertiser like Kellogg's can do it for for reach and for brand awareness, and they figured out a way, and they they are a hundred and something out company, they, they, they measure to the nth. If they figured out how to make it work for themselves, they want to spend money with you guys. Because believe me, they're starting to buy TV. That's a world they know very, very well. So that's part of the good news is that you've got marketers that aren't afraid of this at all. In fact, they're going to be pulling you into it. right? So as Pete is saying, don't be afraid to experiment. Don't be afraid to, to test. Don't be afraid to learn along the way. Right? Mostly don't be afraid. Right? And so as part of that, we talked to you guys about a few different things today. We have seven habits that if you take us seriously, and you should because we've been around for for a while, and we'd love to to do business with you all. um, There's some things that you can do where you can really be effective as programmatic comes to the world of TV. Number one, treat your ads like content with the same amount of respect, the same amount of care, right, the same amount of professionalism. Right, Make stories within your ads. Don't just have them be throwaways. Don't outsource too much, too, by the way. Don't get too far away from the creative. I could say anything about that supply chain. Don't get too far away away from it like keep your ads close make them meaningful right curate them just like you do your your content curate them into your content if you're able to like we talked about with the Empire example personalize everything because it can be personalized it should be personalized that's where the data comes in that's where insights come in if all you do is do customer surveys you have some feedback on your audience right I'm sure you've got much more than that you all do so use that use that even to do simple personalization, but anything you do, any message you're going to send out to the world, make sure that you use your insights to make it relevant to some audience, make it personalized. Don't make it bland. Don't make it generic. Mobile is everything, right? And again, we know this because we're, you know, I don't know about you, but every now and then I bump into things because I'm reading on my phone. We are so engrossed with our phone. That's great. That is a new consumer experience, right? So live that as a professional within your business, make everything mobile first, build towards everything that's mobile first. Video is your business, right? So understand all the forms of video, all the ways it's being distributed today. We'd love to get to a a place where you don't have to worry about that at all. And frankly, as the tech platform guy, I'll say, we're gonna get there. Where, you know, I mean, you're laughing, it's true, well, eventually we'll get there. I I, I trust it. But today you need to actually understand different like long form and short form and different players. You have to understand, you know, the different forms of video. Um, I talked a lot about architecture mattering. This is the platform you know, have a point of view and make it unified, right? And there are those five steps, you unify your platform, you organize your data, you fuel your creative, you know, with that data and those insights, you distribute it in very, very smart ways to the audiences that matter. You measure in the way that's most meaningful for your business, and you use that as a virtuous cycle, that measurement feeds that insight of your customer, where every digital interaction you have, you're getting smarter about your audience, right? And that means you're gonna make more money from that audience. Because that audience, number six, that audience is yours. Own it and protect it, take it very, very seriously. Because right, that at the end of the day you know that if you want to, if you're making money by monetizing your audience, you better protect that audience right? and you better understand who they are you better be able to measure them very well and you better be able to, to, to aggregate them in a way that's most meaningful for you. And the last part, which really you can't underscore enough, is that whether it be training people in your current organization or bringing in new folks, that this is new. These are new marketplaces it's new uses of technology. you are going to have to invest in training invest in your infrastructure within your organization. Right. That's just. There's just no two ways around it. Right. We all want to be relevant within our within our jobs, and so make sure you invest in doing the with the right people doing the right things. So you can actually make good on these seven habits. So we have been talking for quite a while now, and
1: this is the part where we get to ask you, do you have any questions for us? And so um, if you do have any questions, go ahead, seriously. Um, as you can tell, Chip and I have no shortage of opinion, So if there are no questions, we'll just keep going. But are there any questions? You know, seriously. Um, yeah, yes.
0: Empire. The Empire example.
1: So um, yeah, you mentioned at the beginning the example from the Empire TV show. Uh, what do you think will be some new forms of advertising that are integrated into the content rather than? Informed by the content and the audience, but still separate.
0: So I'll give you I'll give you one example. I didn't I didn't mention this when I, I went through it, but we have a, a case study that's out there um, on Think Google, uh, where this season for the the launch of the NBA season, we worked with them to um, take different bits of video content of games and of um, of, of player uh, interviews and of interactions with the crowd. So while the games were going on, we would use that for advertising for the league. So one game would go on, we would we film different segments and that would be used to promote the next game, right? Now, to answer your question, that is kind of, i call, near real-time, right? Where we're using data really, really quickly. Um, we're using um, uh, assets, creative assets, very quickly to inform the advertising. So as the event is going on, we're actually using pieces of the event to um, aggregate people and make, and make people, other folks, aware of the event. We also did this pretty effectively with uh, the World Cup most recently. But what's coming is where you can actually do that more or less in real-time. Right? I mean, so it's, it's gonna be the, the, the ability where a play happens and the commercial break, you know, uh, is going. And you see this, the TV TV commercials do this, right? But you can actually now do something online and through different mobile forms where literally in real time the, the game itself is gonna be used for advertising, you know, um, within the game. So I think that's, that's one example. I think the other example is, um, frankly, you know, and I'm brainstorming now, but also live TV. You know, where, you were, and we see a little bit of this, right? Some people do this where they'll, um, certain shows will take real time feedback and that will then inform how the show gets curated. Well, there's no reason you can't do that in real time with advertising as well. You literally, within the space of an event, you can actually tweak a little bit the direction you're going. Um, in terms of the advertising, and we saw this a teeny bit actually. I think Doritos did this in the Super Bowl, you know. Um, so that we we we've begun to do this. We're gonna, the better the better platform you have, the stronger platform that's a little bit more of a, a single platform. So the more control you have of your data, and the better kind of workflow you have with your creative to your analytics to your your technology, you'll be able to actually use data in real time to literally as the audience is forming its opinions. You can actually um, not only have your content pivot towards those opinions. You can have your advertising pivot to those opinions.
1: One other follow-up comment is the following, is I think that there are going to be some truly creative and original ways that both content and advertising are going to collaborate with one another. And I think that's going to be so fascinating to watch, but I also think it's worth noting that that's not going to be necessary for 100% of the advertising, right? I think that there is still a place for, you know, well thought out and, um, you know, personalized advertisements. One of the reasons why sort of, you know, people are trying to sort of meld these two things together is because, um, you know... (laughs) Today, people have something called banner blindness online, right? It's, they've learned how to ignore, or block these things out, and so with through something called native advertising, we've tried to figure out how to get the ad, people to pay attention to those ads again by making it hard to tell whether it's an ad or not. Right, And so one of the things that's interesting there is that if the ad was good in the first place, you wouldn't have to camouflage it, right? And so that is another th- point that's worth making is that the lack of personalization, the lack of data, the lack of programmatic prowess has caused people to have this uh, necessity to try and sneak the ad in. But if we can just do a better job of creating the ads in the first place and not make them BS or whatever, then you won't have to. And that's not to say that there's not some very great use cases for, you know, sort of a melding of those two things. But I think it's important to point out that that's not necessary if you do the other ads correctly. So this question is specific about programmatic linear television. As you guys know, there's been a lot of industry buzz for quite a few years now. Um, but relative to actual transactions and dollars
0: flowing through, it's somewhat limited. Uh, what do you see as the biggest uh, impediments for programmatic linear TV to really take off? I, I- I think it, frankly, a lot of it has to do, we talked before about fear, uncertainty, and doubt, you know, around commoditization. People worried about, you know, the economic models, and also people worried about disintermediation. I, I think, I mean, my opinion, I think, I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, with inertia, right? Because we're, we're starting to see the growth rates are there. I think part of your question is, is absolute dollars. You know, I mean, absolute dollars are still in the single digits. But, but what's, you know, I use, I think it was um, um, SMG, an, an agency. Um, in 2015, I think these numbers are right. In 2015, they did 11 deals in the upfronts that were essentially kind of what you might call kind of linear, linear TV upfronts, right? Um, the next year, they did 33. This year, they're supposed to do 66, right? So the growth is there. I think people are still um, more or less experimenting with smaller dollars, right? They're not they're not, not jumping off, you know, jumping off the edge of the um, of the dock quite yet. Um, my as I as I as I see what's happening in TV and I think about what I've seen within the world of pure digital, I think that issue has a lot to do with inertia around essentially workflow, the people who are in the workflow, because no one wants to really take the the big big jump yet, you know. So they're letting it kind of evolve, I'd say, kind of organically, which by the way is fine, because it's still the pace. um, It's still hyper growth any way you measure it. But I think there's there's still some some kind of natural inertia within the kind of professional uh, uh, supply chain. The only other thing I'll add to that is,
1: uh, and this is a well understood phenomenon, not only in sort of um, media changing, but generally with technology adoption generally speaking is you probably heard this before is that in the short term people overestimate how far it's going to go and then in the long term they vastly underestimate how fast it's going to go so you know it'll be like oh i can't believe it's taking this long and then all of a sudden one day holy crap look at what happened and so we saw that
0: we saw that mobile mobile is a great example
1: yeah and so it was for a long long time it was when is mobile going to hit when is mobile going to hit and then all of a sudden oh my gosh it came and went, and you know now two-thirds of the universe is mobile, and now it's the other side of it. And I would urge the folks in TV right, to
0: take a lesson from what happened there. Yeah, I, I, Don't be afraid to be a pioneer. Right? I think that if we can, if we can give you any, any lesson, at least from the programmatic, the digital side of things, there is just some inevitability here, because Think about it as a marketer, right? If you're smarter about your data, you're going to do better things. You're going to make more money, right? So this is this really is somewhat inevitable. And the question really for all your businesses is is where's your entry point? How you know who are the right partners? Um, but it's not something to to be afraid of because it's coming. It's coming fast. Three more questions.
1: Talk about uh, unknown and doubt. Can you frame that up for big brands in terms of brand safety concerns? If I'm an airline, there's a lot of good YouTube videos out there lately.
0: <laughs> I guess that's that, that's me, right? Um, <laughs> uh, so the the good news on that, because you said unknown and doubt. Um, so on on the doubt side, I would say that um, you know if if you have any if 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 you have any concerns with with digital, you know, you should you should think very long and hard, and we're obviously, we're probably a partner of yours, um, you should really think long and hard about what controls they give you, right, on the doubt side, right? Um, are you going to be 100% safe? No t- no technology platform is going to be able to give you 100% safety. We see that in the real world, too. There's, like, there's, no, there's no notion of 100% safety. However, in terms of, you know, if you're doing anything with technology, where are your controls? Right? and what policies are the people giving you so you can have as much control, as, as granular, as finite of control you can have, right? So that's on the doubt side. Do you trust the partners that you're working with? Do you even trust the medium, right? And I think for the past few weeks, there's been a lot of concern around BrainSafe, right? rightfully so. Um, what we've done, though, in that case, and something I've been at Google for seven years now, I'm actually really proud of. We've motivated within the space of days of 1,000 engineers to do two things. Number one, create more control especially on YouTube since it's a question, sort of create more control around making sure that we allow you to both include and exclude content with advertising, right? And then also create new policies that make sure that the bad actors get swept out of the system, right? And we're a big company. It's very hard for us to move. Within weeks, we got, we got much more granular. So I think in terms of the doubt, the question is how well do you trust your partners, whether they be distribution partners or technology partners, because that solves for the other part, the unknown. It shouldn't be unknown. Right? You, should, you should know exactly where your ads are going. You should know exactly how they're programmed. And as Pete said as an advertiser, you just have complete transparency. Right, So there shouldn't be the unknowns. Right, So I think, to answer your question, number one, I'd love to tell you you can be 100% safe and you're going to know everything. Right now we're in a, uh, on a path where there's going to be, you know, there's gonna be there is, there, you know, you're not going to know everything and you're not going to be 100% safe. But how can, can you get to that 99.9? And can you, can you really be sure of, you know, that you trust the person you're working with to have the right transparency? Because what's going to happen, that's why on the architecture side, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to work with a lot of people. They better be for real, right? And that's also a place, by the way, as much as for us, like scale can offer up, you know, some new risk, it also, also offers up a lot of safety. Because if we don't get the stuff right, we're, we're in big, big trouble. Right?
1: The other thing that I'll add is, look, things are changing so fast right now. I mean, literally, we're paying 52 pickup with $200 billion in ad spend. Really, as an industry, we are. And the winners and losers of tomorrow will be determined in the next few years. I guarantee you this. If you're too afraid to take a risk, you will not win. There really has to be some recognition out there that there is going to be mistakes made and that's par for the course, right? You want to try and steer around the big ones, right? And you want to make sure that you minimize the impact of mistakes when they happen, but make no mistake, they will happen, right? Five years, 10 years, 24 years of doing this, everybody knows that in times like these, we're all still figuring it out. And so, and I think that the consumers know that too. Right, and I think that they will honestly, you know, help and like understand that. Yeah, oops. As long as you say sorry, yeah, we didn't mean to do this. We had the best intentions in mind, but we are trying to figure out how to do this better, faster for everyone.
0: Yeah, and and, 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 and you course correct. You learn from it and you move on. And I think for us, at least on the brand safety, that that, that was a great lesson um, around you know what we need to do to get even better. One more question. One more. Anybody? Yep. Yeah. So uh, it's it's easy to see the connection between major brands and programmatic, you know, purchasing of that. How do you see it? Hello, hello. How do you see it playing out in local and regional? So the question the question was in, in terms of major brands on a national level, easy to see how programmatic can work, but how can it work really more in kind of the spot, you know, or or local local markets. Um, I guess the good news there, and this is sort of part of the supply chain, where I, I, we've actually seen um, people that have kind of smaller footprints can move faster, right? And so the you know the question really, I think with all of this, it starts with how well do you know your how, how much control do you have over your data, and how well do you know your audience, right? So I might do a counter argument to say one of the problems with the major brands is because they've got so much data they don't know where to start, and they're also a little bit more risk averse. So I think smaller, smaller, smaller entities, whether they be content creators or smaller brands, have the ability to kind of get into it um, in some ways a little bit faster. The question I think for the smaller players, I go back to the architecture, you're probably not gonna build, you might not find that it makes the right investment to build a lot of things yourself, so you have to partner. You have to partner for data organization, you have to partner for technology for distribution. So then I think the question becomes, it's not that it's not available to you, but who are the right partners? Because I'd actually argue, and if you're talking about yourself, if you happen to be in this case, you actually, I think, can move really fast now. But the risk there, it's not the risk that it wouldn't work for you. In fact, because as long as you've got the right data sets, it's going to work for you really well. The risk is really do you have the right partner. There. I think that
1: programmatic is actually probably game-changing for everybody, but in particular for the local advertisers. We work with some of the largest advertisers in the world and we also work with some of the smallest car dealerships, you know, local retailers. And for them, it really is something that's amazing. And here it is. Wanamaker's dilemma, right, for the local advertiser was way worse. It wasn't 50% of a national audience that was wasted. It was 99.9% of a national audience that was wasted. But for the first time with programmatic, you can now buy media across the board for just the people that are close by. Right? and that is great for everybody because now we can have folks just um, you know purchasing the media that they want and none of the media that they don't need and so the that entire like you know level of targeting and flexibility now there's a lot of technological things that we have to figure out before we get there but ultimately that's where we think there's a lot of promise there and so when we work in programmatic media today many many of our clients are the ones that you're talking about right the folks who have are trying to figure out additional ways to reach their clients you know wherever they may be
0: great well we, we need to uh, we need to wrap up now but let's have a fantastic hand for Pete and chip so we have uh We've been broadcasting live on Voice America, so if you want to listen to these podcasts and also Facebook Live, see these videos, give um, Jeremy, raise your hand, Jeremy, your business card, and I'll make sure and send you guys all this content. But all of it right now is sitting on voiceamerica.com. So thanks. Another big hand for a small company called Google and Mighty Hive.